What's up, everybody? It's 518 Filmhouse coming to your ears. Uh, Joe and Alex, I've got a lot to talk to you about. So let's get it started right here, right now. Yes, and before we start on most of the other things we're going to cover today, I just wanted to uh, take a moment of uh, silence for uh, Chadwick Boseman, who tragically passed away last week due to colon cancer. So if you all would like to join us in uh, 10 seconds of silence and reflecting on him and his legacy, um, we're going to go now. Man, I, I thought that was a joke when when I woke up to your message for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what kind of a joke I thought it was. It just... Messed uh, up one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tr- just utterly tragic. Chadwick Boseman, 43. Um, I was just, uh, before we hopped on, Joe, I was just looking at some news with that and apparently only like four other people in the industry knew like no one at marvel studios knew it's crazy until Ooh. like an you hour know who knew? uh i was just looking let me let me look at the article hollywood reporter came out with something today uh, apparently like kevin feige found out on the day of like an oh hour before God. he had passed away crazy. uh yeah it was he Producing partner Logan Coles, longtime agent Michael Green, trainer Addison Henderson, and 42 director Brian Helgeland. Uh, varying degrees of knowledge about it as well. Mm. Apparently, he, yeah, he thought he was going to beat it to the point where they were supposed to start filming Black Panther 2 in September. And you, you've seen pictures of all the weight loss he had towards the end, right? Yeah. He, yeah. he, he was going to put on all that weight. Like, he was, that's mentally, that's where he was at. So I'm. It, there's no other way to put it other than it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tragedy for Hollywood and for, for film in general. But I, I guess I'm just really happy that he fought with that much optimism to, till the end. Like he didn't, yeah. he didn't give up on, on himself for that fight from right. what, what it sounds like. And he kept the fight with him. He didn't like, he, you know, there's many ways to deal with it. I listened to a podcast earlier this week about it and, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to deal with death and there's a lot of ways to, I guess, um, present yourself when you're going through cancer and none of them are wrong and none of them are bad. Um, but, you know, there's, I believe it was, it was um, Travis, who's the guy that plays uh, Joel in The Last of Us? Oh, Troy Baker. Troy Baker. Troy Baker was talking about it. He was, he was talking about how beautiful in in way that it was because, you know, he just kind of went out the way he did and you know you never knew you would never know because he was so positive and he was such a emblem of you know strength Mm -hmm. and you know people with cancer exude strength in many different ways and sometimes you know it comes in the way that you don't know they have it and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's that they have it and you know they have it and they're so strong because they're fighting through it and in this case Chadwick was fighting through it and didn't tell anybody and you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know, you would have no clue. Mm-mm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, in the end, it was such a hit uh, to, you know, the world because of his impact on Hollywood very recently. Um, but, you know, he's had quite the career, even though he's just 43. Um, I personally uh, would show uh, 42 
uh, during Black History Month has a Social Studies teacher I chose 42 because it was um, him playing Jackie Robinson. And it was a great performance, um, but it was before he created or before he played T'Challa uh, or Black Panther in the different Marvel movies. Um, I mean, he has a uh, just he really was just coming into, I think, the uh, you know, his career. I mean, he yeah. he played James Brown in 2014. He played Thurgood, Thurgood Marshall. Marshall. Yeah. He just was like, you know, this playing a lot of really, uh, you know, historical, yeah, impactful, um, historical um, men of color. And I think yeah. what I was reflecting on a lot over the weekend and just even more tra- like tra- I mean, I'm myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white male, but I like, I ha- have an overabundance of these characters that look like me in, in films and specifically in, in the Marvel cinematic universe. And the one right. that is gone now is the one that was, that, that, you know, gave so much empowerment and um, things for, for, you know, um, boys and men of color that it's just, <laughs> you know, I think it just hits on a very different level there too, you know, or it's especially given the current climate. Um, yeah. You know, like Black Lives Matter movement, you know, it's mm-hmm. such a tough time already. Um, well, I mean, it's always, it's, it's always a tough time, but especially, um, now, um, mm-hmm. for, um, people of color in, in this country mm-hmm. and Black Panther in many ways was such a, um, beautiful piece of art and such a, you know, such an inspiration for so many children that were growing up in America and were, um, were black and to lose someone like that to lose someone that played this inspirational character and, and also as an actor inspired a lot of people, you know, he, he was very much, um, you know, he would go to cancer patients and you would, you would, you know, visit them and you, you didn't even know he had cancer, but you know, he was very impactful for these children that were going through cancer. Um, and it's just such a, such a hit to so many communities mm-hmm. and, um, but especially, um, the African-American and, and black community in America. Mm-hmm. That, and me and uh, my wife, Brittany, we watched Black Panther over the weekend. I really wanted mm-hmm. to try to watch some of his other films because uh, surprisingly there isn't much I've seen in his filmography. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I really need to do a lot of my homework on it. And it sucks that I'm doing it in retrospect of um, his passing but yeah. kind of in a in a weird way with with actors is that now he he's immortalized in these like he you know like you can go back and take a look like he you know Chadwick isn't with us anymore but I was able to watch his work as T'Challa on on um, I think it was Sunday night that, that we watched it and mm-hmm. how how alive that character is and how much that means is still it's still there like um it's it's hard to I know it's weird to put it because I don't think that you know especially being younger that any other actor that's passed away has been that impactful on me that I've mm-hmm. like watched something of theirs almost immediately afterwards and mm-hmm. it, and just kind of knowing that that person isn't here anymore but I'm seeing them now you know I think there's such a it's such an interesting feeling um, yeah I think the person that maybe came the closest to that 
being a young actor and being at the top of their career at the time was probably Paul Walker. Yeah. Recently, very different circumstances, obviously. What I noticed looking at um, Chadwick Boseman's filmography right now is that it took so long for him to really make it in Hollywood. You know, mm-hmm. there aren't that many opportunities for people of color in Hollywood. And, um, you know, you look at his filmography, he really didn't make it, make it until like, I mean, he did some TV series. He did a lot of one shot TV series. He did a lot of like one episodes on ER, Cold Case, uh, yeah. Law and Order, Third Watch, uh, you know. Um, and then he kind of made it a little bit with a, link, a show called Lincoln Heights and then Persons Unknown. But then really not until 2013 with 42 did he really hit it big. And, you know, he's 43. He's 43 and that was about seven years ago. So really 36, yeah. 36 years old is when he really started to make it. So he really only had experienced, you know, seven years of somewhat Hollywood success. Really, even then, even after 42, the movies that follow, really, you don't see him being like a star star until Black Panther, mm-hmm. uh, which is 2018. Well, really, I guess Captain America Civil War to some extent, but even then, Black Panther wasn't huge. Even from Captain America Civil War, he wasn't gigantic. I don't think people were really looking forward to the Black Panther movie as much as they would realize they would when it actually came out because it came out and it was a great movie. Um, well, yeah, and, it, and it, that it, kind of blew up. It blew up. It made, it made $700 million. It, yeah. The 242 mil in four days. It was yeah, just it was, it was massive. People, people went and saw it more, more than once and they came out in droves for it. Uh, I it at least twice. I know that. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's the first superhero film to be up for, for best picture. It won yeah. the best ensemble at the Screen Actors Guild. Um, it's just, it was such a big movie, and for him to be in the forefront of that, like he, he, he was at the top of his game. And it's just, it's so sad to think that there could have been like this powerful voice, um, an all around just good guy, you know, left at that point. Yeah. Um, We've got a couple of things uh, coming for him still. He's in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is supposed to be coming out uh, within the next year. And then apparently, I'm looking right now, is he recorded some voiceover as Black Panther in the upcoming What If Marvel series that's going to be on mm. Disney Plus? Wow, that's going to be That'll be, be pretty, pretty big. So I, yeah. I didn't really... That kind of brings me to another thought. I didn't really want to talk about it because I wanted to kind of reflect on... Uh, him specifically but in terms of where marvel goes with black panther after this i was thinking about it while watching it in regards to is it something similar to where carrie fisher passed away and they used archival footage to have her in rise of skywalker for a bit do you think that they'll use anything that they had from you know the four films he was in the mcu to have him featured and whatever that next installment is going to look like now, or do you like to honor that legacy or do you honor it by not including him? I think, I think Disney will find a honorable, honorable way to remember him in the next Black Panther. They will not replace T'Challa. Right. And they'll make Shuri, uh, his sister, um, the new Black Panther, uh, which is, it's canon in the comics. Like it, it happens in the comics. Um, and I, 
just, you know, they won't replace him. That's not going to happen. Um, it better not happen. Mm-hmm. And I saw rumors of like body double technology, basically that was used for um, Paul Walker to some extent, mm-hmm. along with like, he had also like a, a twin brother, which helped, or at least a brother. Maybe not a twin brother, he had a brother. Um, but I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll find some way to write him off the movie in a very honorable way, maybe even have T'Challa, you know, go out and, you know, find a way to maybe use, I guess, CGI or something with the Black Panther and have him do something very heroic um, to finish off T'Challa's legacy. Yeah. Um, but then Shuri will have to take over and they'll find many ways to honor him. I, Fortnite, um, I don't know if you saw this, but Fortnite, um, they've been having a Marvel season mm-hmm. and they had a big, like, almost kind of similar to like the Aladdin sand um, cave. Yeah. But it was like a giant statue of the Black Panther and they just placed it in the game in order to honor him. Um, but it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. And I, I'm, you know, it's a weird year. It's like a weird year for it to happen too, because, you know, the award season is not going to really be the same. And normally the memoriam would be something big to kind of honor, uh, you know, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, and with the uh, Academy Awards happening towards the end of April, twenty twenty one, we're going to be all you know, through two, you know, two thirds of the way through the year since his death. Yeah. So I, I, I think this one's gonna gonna linger though because it's such a hit. It will. It will. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm excited personally to take take some time like moving a lot of his movies up on my watch list to get through those. Yeah, so, you can see the five bloods. Yeah, I, I, two and a half hours. I think that's why I couldn't get my wife to watch it the other night. But like I said, Black Panther's like two hours and sixteen. But yeah. I guess when when you know the movie already, it kind of is a little bit easier to sit through if it's a little longer. And I mean, Black Panther is really it moves at such a fast pace and it's so engaging. Probably so. would watch Marshall sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a really a really tough loss and it's just we i think i think society has grown so close to the marvel movies and mm-hmm. you know you'd think it you'd think it'd be a lot of, of other people before him because he's such a he was such a symbol of you know you can't i don't want to say strength because it's not that people with you know that people die that not because they're strong it's just that you know you just couldn't imagine it being him Mm-hmm. He, he was youthful he was you, you just would never guess that would happen and then it did and it's just it's just really rough yeah so Ch- Chadwick Boseman rest in peace man uh, the world is better because you were in it and because of the, the lasting legacy and film that you left behind as well so uh, we'll probably be talking more about Chadwick throughout the next couple of months as we walk through some of his movies. Yeah. And obviously as news comes out as to what Marvel is going to be doing moving forward with the MCU and with the Black Panther franchises. So, but moving on from that, we are going to continue what we were started last week in talking about our films that kind of describe our film tastes. We got through six respectively Last week, after talking for a long time on all of those, we have four left each. 
figure we could just bounce back and forth to really uh, end off on that discussion. I believe we left off at you, Joe? Yes. Um, Yeah, I was up next. Uh, My next movie slash movies is a tie. Uh, It's between A Wonderful Life and A Christmas Story. Mm. Um, You know, movies around the time of Christmas, you know, Christmas movies. Christmas movies are such a, a staple in our society. And for me, it's such a great time to, you know, enjoy that theme of movie. That theme of movie where it's families coming together, it's families enjoying this holiday that we've kind of crafted American society around to some extent, even though not everyone celebrates Christmas. Um, but for me, it's the two movies, It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Story uh, have been such a big part of my life. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life I took a long time to get into. I I'd always had watched a lot of it uh, when I was a kid because my dad loved the movie. And he loved Jeremy Shore. And um, I, I didn't love Jimmy Stewart right away. I thought it was weird. I thought he was weird. I thought he talked weird. Uh, but over time, as I got to know more of his movies and I got to know the Westerns, but before I got to know the Westerns, I got to enjoy It's a Wonderful Life for what it was. And what it was is very similar to Forrest Gump. It's a story of a whole person's life and what impact one person can have on the world and society and perhaps just a town. But a person can have a huge impact. And It's a Wonderful Life tells that story. And it's it's based around Christmas. And um, it has... It, t- it tells a story that makes you think about your own life and it makes you think about, you know, just, just that, how great life is and how great it is to be part of other people's lives. Um, and Jeremy Shore, Jeremy Shore, he's, I knew <laughs> he's a wonderful actor. He really is. And um, I really appreciate his performance, even though, Nowadays, it would be considered a bad performance because, you know, you look at performances in like the, you know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, and I guess now 60 years ago, and it's very, you would say it's overacting, but at the time, it was different because I think acting was much more connected to theater at the time, and (laughs) we accepted that people are going to be very over the top, Um, but Jimmy Stewart, he's, he's a lovable guy, he's a lovable actor, and um, they they wrote me in a story where you you realize like oh man this guy's going through the worst things in the world like he's 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 becoming a disappointment to his family he's becoming he's he's a failure and yet you realize that no he's not a failure because he's affected all these people's lives he's kept people alive he's he's saved people's lives he saves people financial like uh, financial viability you know he's he's done so much. And yet he doesn't even realize it. And so many of us take life for granted. And this this story and the way it's crafted shows you that. That, you know, you may think that you're a loser. You may think that you're a failure. But you you affect people in such so many great ways. And it's one example of Christmas uh, movies and how they kind of show you that, you know, um, you know, you try to affect people in great ways. And you give them gifts and you 
and you're, you're part of families and you, you affect your family in, um, you know, many positive ways. Um, of course, this film is very different in that, in the way in which it's structured. Um, are you, have you watched oh, Wonder, It's a Wonderful Life before? I, when I was a child, I have not watched mm-hmm. it as an adult. So I think that's, I think you would appreciate it more yeah. nowadays. Um, it's such a unique structure. I think it's probably recreated in many different forms of media. But the idea is he is he's wanting to end his life because I believe he has like a insurance policy on his life. And he can basically like, you can, he can make his family, you know, financially viable if he just kills himself. And, um, but then an angel is going to jump off a bridge or I guess he didn't, they don't, well, I guess they do reveal it pretty quick. There, there's this guy that's going to jump off the bridge. Jimmy Stewart saves him. Turns out, He's an angel and uh, that he wants to uh, save Jimmy Stewart and he wants to save him from killing himself. And Jimmy Stewart's like, it doesn't matter. No one's going to care when I die. And my life doesn't matter. And then the angel shows him his, what would happen if he wasn't alive? What was, what would happen if he never existed? And he realizes how much he's affected people's lives and how the world would be much different if he never lived. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful film. But then on the opposite end, there's a Christmas story. And a Christmas story uh, is just a really, really fun movie. And it's a, it's a movie that represents how Christmas affects children and how, how it holds such an importance in children's lives and how like just one gift can be the obsession of a child and mean so much to a child and how it can be an amazing moment for a parent just to get them that gift and how much the holiday affects children and adults in that way. And it's just a very pure Christmas movie uh, without all the mythology, um, but like a real life Christmas story, like, you know, consumerism and such. Um, but I just love both those movies because um, it makes me love Christmas. I, I watch it every Christmas. I watch both of them pretty much every single year on Christmas. And um, they just ha- they hold such a, big piece of my heart and so much of my love for cinematography um, because Christmas movies are such a big thing in film. So yeah. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? So actually it's uh, it's just a Christmas movie to me and it's on my list. So it's actually a really fun segue. Um, I don't even think you could guess it because <laughs> it's I feel like you've said this before. not a Christmas movie, but it's something that I've made a tradition of for myself in watching it. It did come out, in December uh, of okay. the, the year it was released. And I guess I, it was when, you know, Brittany and I were living in our first apartment. She was out shopping for Christmas stuff. And yeah. like I had her like, she, cause I had to leave the house cause the apartment was so, was so small that in order for me to hide anything that I got for her, I had to wrap it like immediately. And while she was gone, I thought, well, I have, you know, like three hours to kill. I'll just put oh, a movie on. No. It's oh. not Lord of the Rings. It's, so that's that's like a New Year's thing. It's pretty okay. close. Of course, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh, 2015's The Revenant with Leonardo oh DiCaprio God. and Tom Hardy, uh, and it's a western. Which it's that there's a lot of things going on here because western is probably my second favorite genre of film. We took a class on it, and I think westerns it's in itself as a genre really inform a lot of other genres of film. 
and you just see those tropes and those uh, um, narrative uh, mechanics everywhere. Like, I would, you know, we got news today of the Mandalorian coming back and everywhere you look, it yeah. says it's a space Western, which is right, which is true because it has all of the, all of the traditional um, tropes of a Western movie. And the Revenant is just this large, sweeping Western, but also is kind of rooted in this spirituality and connection to nature and to the universe that we live in. And I just really got swept into it when I was watching it. That one, I think it was Christmas Eve, actually, that I was wrapping these gifts. So that's why I kind of associate it with that. And since then, the past four years, whenever I wrap gifts... I watched The Revenant. That's really uh, funny because I don't know if you know this, but The Revenant is heavily based off of It's a Wonderful Life. Because yeah. as Leonardo DiCaprio is getting whipped around by that bear, he's saying, I want to live again, Clarence. I want to live again. And he's just getting whipped around by the bear back and forth like he's Loki by the Hulk. And uh, yeah, it's him realizing that life is a lot better than getting eaten by a bear. Um, I no, always, but uh, seriously, yeah, I, I, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I always uh, I Snapchat that the bear sequence and send it to our <laughs> our, our, our friend Vic for because he he always hurts himself in the gym, and I say when you when you when you're lifting with your bicep and you crack your shoulder, and it's just the bear like destroying <laughs> DiCaprio. Oh, uh, but really, I think the way that the like just the whole production of the film, you know, they had to. I can't remember what country. It's shot in, but um, Alejandro and Yuratu, he he had them f- f- go out and film in these like inclement like um, climates to get the actual snow mm-hmm. in there because they tried it with snow machines and it just didn't wasn't working for them. So in a lot of the scenes, like Leonardo DiCaprio was literally like in nature, just like <laughs> you know, like like freezing and all this other stuff that's going on, and I think it really informs his performance, and it's. It's so interesting because you have a lot of really great DiCaprio roles that are rooted in really great dialogue and really um, just a lot of personality. And this is really a physical role. And it's the one that won him his Academy Award that was joked about for so many years. Uh, But it's just this really powerful revenge type story that kind of, you know, like towards the end of it, it kind of brings into question, like, is, is that path worth it? Um, you know, him tr- tr- going through all of those lengths to get to Tom Hardy's character, who also is just brilliantly played. Um, you got the, who did the score for it? Should know this off the top of my head. I got IMDb open. Yeah, if you want to pop that. Let's see um, what we got here. We got the cast. I need the crew. I, need I mean, the, crew. I mean the, the cinematography itself, like Emmanuel Lebowski, mm-hmm. um, just, it's, it's this massive movie and it really cap it's, it's not shot in America, but you know, it's in the, the American West and it's just these huge mountain ranges, these, um, this winter like climate, these, these tall trees, just the shots in different ways that it's all shaped. And with that narrative focus too, of, you know, DiCaprio's wife who was, you know, native American was murdered. And then his son was also, and it's this path of trying to f- come to some sort of, um, closure while trying to honor those that he had lost. And I think mm. just a combination of the, the way the film shot, what it shows you, the sound, and then just 
the stillness of DiCaprio's character too. It just it, it resonates with me deeply every single time I watch it, and I think it's just a it's 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 a western at heart, but it, I feel like it it takes it does a lot more than what your traditional western would. Kind of like how No Country for Old Men, I think, really kind of transcends the genre. Um, and I'm, I've been talking about about score here because it's it's such a um, I think it really kind of brings everything together in this film. But like No Country for Old Men, I, it was the second time I watched that that I realized that there's really no score. And I don't know if you've watched that more than once. But if you were to watch it after I talk about it tonight, Joe, you watch No Country for Old Men, you're going to realize that there's barely any music in the film. It's just mm. the sound that's caught on camera or whatever they edited in um, aside from music. And I think that that was one of the first films that when I noticed that really told me a lot about the, po- the power of sound, because not only is it what you're hearing, but it's what you're not. And we're going to keep that thought in mind for my last movie we're going to talk about tonight because sound is very integral to that one too. But yeah, The Revenant, I swear to you guys, it's the best to wrap gifts to. Tom Hardy's fantastically funny in it <laughs> when he's talking about uh, when he, the one, he was talking in the, in the cave and he was talking about this other guy that said that he had found God and God was a squirrel. <laughs> and you know what he did? He ate that son of a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Revenant, Christmas movie, Western, one of my favorites. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it this Christmas. So maybe I'll try it again, I should say, because I've already seen it once. Yep, I've seen uh, it like five, six times now. It's crazy. Is Alvin, Alvin Noto sound familiar? Is Music that the... Alvin Noto, it says? Yeah, I guess I've never... That's not a familiar name with me, but yeah. shout out to them because Alvin that's a... Noto. That's a standout. For sure. Um, so my next pick, because that was one of your picks, right? Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was just a natural segue. Hits us back to um, who we were talking earlier about, uh, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Avengers Endgame. Um, Avengers Endgame because uh, it, it, the whole Marvel you know, cinematic universe has mattered a lot to me. And uh, I've seen it with two different friend groups over the years, but it's always something that brings friends together. And I think it's an experience, um, the whole Avengers franchise, especially because those are the big kind of hallmark movies that kind of, um, you know, tend to begin or end a, um, a section of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a, uh, what do you call it, a tier? A phase? A phase. Yeah, the phases are tend to be book, bookended by the Avengers movies. Or Captain America Civil War, I think, also kind of fits in there, but it's very similar to Avengers movie. Uh, but Avengers Endgame was the end of an era. It was the end of uh, Phase 3, correct? Yes. Well, no, it would, technically yeah. it's not because technically Spider-Man, Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. Home, but it's yeah, like an well, epilogue yeah. to Phase Yeah, it's like three. an epilogue. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's like a barn scene, you could say, <laughs> or a trip to a, another place in California. Was it California in last list too? Oh, um, Sam. Anyways, anyways, Avengers Endgame uh, was quite the end of an era, and it was a perfect ending. And it it is part of my love for 
comic book films, which I talked about earlier with The Dark Knight. Um, but Avengers Endgame, it diverted from expectations a lot. You know, I think, I don't think anybody could have truly predicted what was going to happen in that film. Um, I think a lot of us went in with crazy expectations after Avengers Infinity War. And we thought, you know, we thought perhaps it was going to be, you're going to kill Thanos at the end, but then they killed him in the beginning. And then uh, also spoilers throughout this. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we were like, is there going to be time travel? How's it going to be time travel? How's that going to work? What are they going to do to fix it? How, you know, is it that they can't beat Thanos and they have to go back in time to get something? No, they already beat Thanos. So like, why are they going back in time? <sighs> when are they, like, are they going to get to the gems or like, what's going to happen? We, we had no clue. And we had so many people predicting how to, what would be the perfect way to end it. And we all got it wrong. And it was still the perfect ending. And um, it was just a crazy experience I'll never forget. It was, you know, it continued to use the same score in different ways from the very beginning. And you get so much nostalgia. And there are amazing endings for several characters that we cared so much about. And... I think you'll agree with me that it was it was just it was a movie that is significant to us and so many other people because of the things that it did for us things that you know and just it's so rare for a movie franchise to have an ending that's so satisfying but that brings us to your next movie yes which we're gonna keep rolling with franchises i think we're kind of segueing pretty naturally transitioning into these and i know you're gonna have quite a bit to say about this but uh, fleshing out my taste in film i feel like i have to have this one on my list for people to understand where i'm coming from it's star wars the last jedi (laughs) because it says a lot about me as a star wars fan (laughs) so (laughs) we're gonna talk about it uh Star Wars, highly debated with the trilogies and with films within those. The original trilogy being one that's, you know, very um, highly uncontested. You know, it's, it's three classic films. I mean, Return of the Jedi, probably the weakest link there. And then you have the prequels, which Revenge of the Sith is fantastic. And the other two are all right. And then Disney comes out with their new trilogy and Force Awakens. All right. Pretty solid. And then Last Jedi comes around and it shatters the fan base (laughs) into two halves. And I'm on the most unfavorable end where I think The Last Jedi is fantastic and is the right step that Disney needed for the film. And then they completely missed (laughs) the rest of the game when they came out with Rise of Skywalker. Why I think The Last Jedi works so well and I think it's such an important movie for Star Wars is because it it treats Star Wars as a film and not as a franchise. It takes risks um, for, you know, a, a, to, to a con- conventional type of blockbuster movie in terms of narrative. It really tries to push um, some different things into it. I'm thinking, especially in terms of Luke's arc throughout the film, in that it takes this, the basically, you know, Luke Skywalker, the archetypal, like, male hero that a lot of people grew up with and idolized and they grew him up <laughs> and, and and they show you that you know heroes change and they're it, dynamic and it's not static 
and it was just refreshing to see, even though for a majority of the film, Luke is this curmudgeon uh, type of, I really don't, you know, that, that mentor that doesn't even want to be a mentor anymore. He's kind of given up on that. But then by the end of the film, you know, he comes back and he, he does what I feel like naturally Luke Skywalker would do. He comes in and he um, gives the resistance that, that glimmer of hope they need to push through um, into the, whatever next steps they need to in order to fight the first order. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful ending for him. And especially with Carrie Fisher passing away for him to come in and give her Hans dice, um, tell her he loves her, you know, what likes the change of her hair and then, you know, kisses his sister on the forehead and then goes out to battle his nephew who <laughs> Adam driver plays <laughs> so well, too well <laughs> broke his back playing him for those three movies. But and there's that twist, right, where he is, uh, you know, um, force projecting himself. He never leaves the island that you meet him on. Mm-hmm. Luke is so powerful in the force. He projects himself across planets as a, to prove to be pacifist in the light, the, the what was, you know, could have been one of the biggest lightsaber battles. And in that battle, he and Kylo's lightsabers don't touch because Luke's isn't there. He really shows you the work, the, his training as a Jedi and what the Jedi mean to him in, in bringing that to that new generation. And outside of that, Ryan Johnson also has the, the kids at the end of the film that are also, you know, it's hinted at that they're force sensitive. And really the whole narrative of the film is that it doesn't, doesn't matter where you come from or who you are that makes it's, it's who you, it's, it's who you are that makes you special. All right. Are we ready for my next one? Yeah, oh yeah. So ready. All right. So my next one um, is from one of my favorite directors. And um, it is called The Fighter. All right. It's The Fighter. The Fighter. It's starring Mark Wahlberg um, and Christian Bale. Christian Bale is in a couple here. A couple of my favorite movies, Dark Knight and The Fighter. Um, but I really enjoy The Fighter. Fighter uh, as a category of movie. I love boxing movies. I love fighting movies, but primarily boxing movies because they don't make a lot of MMA movies, especially good MMA movies. Um, there's only really only one good MMA movie. Um, but we'll get back to that. Uh, but yeah, The Fighter uh, with David O. Russell and directing Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale as two brothers. Um, but it's just a really well-made movie, but it represents a genre that I love, which is boxing movies. I love the Rocky films. I love Creed, you know, um, I love, um, Miles Teller created a film a few years ago. It wasn't critically accepted very much, but, uh, it was a pretty good film. But anyways, the fighter is such a great tale. And, uh, David Russell is very good at crafting an ensemble and, then bring them together, having a comedic element, but also a good amount of drama. Um, you see that with uh, The Fighter. And then another movie that I'm going to bring up later, Silver Linings Playbook. But that's kind of a tie for my last one. So there's still, it's not a complete spoiler. Um, but The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook. Um, uh, let's see, where is it? American Hustle. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the only films that had... 
been nominated for all four acting categories. Oh, damn. And I think that since O. Russell was up for director, it's also for the big five, which was director, picture, screenplay, actor, actress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, um, but yeah, I, I think boxing movies are so great because they have a common theme where someone gets knocked down and they have to get back up, which is very representative of the sport itself. Um, and they do a great job of showing that Mark Wahlberg's character um, he's, you know, he's not the perfect boxer. You know, he, he, Mickey Ward. Mickey Ward is not the perfect boxer. Uh, but when he got knocked down, he got back up. He got back up and he rises up from very small beginnings uh, to become the boxing, you know, the world, uh, the world champ. And that's a common theme. You think of Rocky. Rocky's not a great boxer, but he's got some heart. He fights to the top. Creed. Uh, Creed is a little bit different um, because Adonis is, is the son of Apollo Creed. So he's got the lineage and he's a very good boxer in general. He's just not quite the best yet. And then Rocky brings him there. Rocky brings him to, to become the best. Um, but generally it's the underdog. We get, we love the tale of the underdog. We love the tale of somebody that you don't expect to be able to win. They shouldn't be able to win, but because they have the heart and the work ethic, they can get there. Um, and it's a, it's a tale as old as time, um, but we love it. I love it. I don't know. Do you love it? Do you love the tale of the underdog? I do love it. It's a good underdog story. Yeah. Something about him. It's yeah. usually the underdog. You don't see too many about the, uh, the dominant boxer. You think of Cinderella man, Cinderella man. Usually they're, they're fighting for, for pennies and then they find their way to the top. And you usually you don't see like the fall back down. Um, which often does follow them. Though Rocky kind of covers all bases. You know, with Rocky 1, he starts from the bottom. He gets a chance at the world title out of nowhere, loses. Spoilers. Spoilers for this whole next part of the discussion. Uh, Rocky 2, he gets a rematch. He wins. He's the underdog. He wins. Rocky 3, he's on top. He gets knocked down. Rocky 4, he's at the top. He retires. He gets dragged back in for a very uh, terrible reason. And he has to fit the Russian. Uh, Rocky V, he retires again. His brain's too mush. His brain's all mushy now. Uh, but then he trains a young fighter and ends up fighting him. Uh, then the remake, Rocky, he's an old man. He's an old man and he's an underdog because, yeah, the old man shouldn't be fighting anymore. He's like, I don't know, like 60 or something. But they dra- he gets dragged back in. He gets dragged back in, and he's the underdog because he's the old man now. He started out as a young, a young boxer who just wasn't that good at boxing. He's the underdog. Now he's the old man. He used to be the best in the world, but he's too old. He can't do it anymore. He comes back in. And then, uh, and then you get Creed. So, you know, boxing movies, generally about the underdog, though, it, it depends on the movie. Uh, let's see. Where is the movie? Where is the movie? Uh, I'm I'm struggling to find the movie I'm thinking of, which had Miles Teller in it. it Bleed for this. Bleed for this. Yes, bleed for this. I I rented that from the library one time. Oh, the good old library. Library card. A good old library. This is before, uh, I guess, this is not before streaming services got big, but this specifically wasn't a streaming service. I had a library card. I got it. And uh, it was a really fun movie, actually. 
Uh, Miles Teller was really awesome in it. He got jacked in it. And um, it was a good underdog story because it tells the story of Vinny Paz. And Vinny Paz became a world champion. Then he got in a bad, bad motorcycle accident. And he had to get screws up and down his spine. Uh, and he had to fight his way back from a pretty much a debilitating uh, injury. Um, and then once again, tells a great story. You gotta, you gotta watch this person persevere, find a way through and become the best in the world. And, uh, that's why boxing movies are so great. I love Christmas movies. I love boxing movies. I love romantic comedies. I love martial arts films. I love a good gangster movie. I love a good crime movie. You know, these are the movies I love. These are the genres I love. And if you keep on making these movies, I'm going to keep watching them. And, uh, that's why I love the fighter. Because it's a very good boxing movie. It's a well-made boxing movie because David Russell is a good director. And it also is the genre that I love. So it is what it is. What's your next one? All right. So we're in the, right. It's the, the final two, my final, my second to last. Yeah. It's the final countdown. So I, you, you, you know this, but not everybody here might. So I have always wanted to be a writer. I, um, Right in my spare time, I've had a short story um, published in my time. Um, and so one of my favorite kind of, it's not a genre, but I love movies about writers. And I also, this stars one of my own personal like heroes, just in terms of his own perseverance. And also he, I wanted to beat one of his records that he currently holds. And unfortunately, I'm too old to beat it. Um, the film stars Ben Affleck, who is the youngest person to win the Academy Award for original screenplay at the age of 26. Um, can you guess the movie, Joe? Oh, that he got, he won the award for? Nope, the movie I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Um, the movie that you're talking about that stars Ben Affleck is Gone Girl. It is, <laughs> yes. Oh, got it, I got it, all right, sweet. <laughs> yes, Gone Girl. I love Gone, I love David Fincher, and I'm yeah. a huge fan of Ben Affleck. In this movie, um, at the time it came out in 2014, I was taking a film class in college on films about writers. And it hit me right after we <laughs> went and saw Gone Girl for a second time after you told me, Yo, dude, ben Affleck, you, can, you can see Ben Affleck's junk in it. How yeah. did we miss that? And for anybody, you know how many that, people have told about that. You know, I tell people once a year. <laughs> it's least. the number one thing to tell people about Gone Girl is that you get to see Ben Affleck's junk, and it's big. I think you called me and said, "What are you doing right now?" And you're like, "Nothing." And we went and saw the next show. <laughs> and yeah. for anyone that has seen it, or if you have not seen Gone Girl, it's really yeah, hard to miss Ben Affleck's junk at the very end of the film <laughs> so very very hard to miss it but it was, it was actually hard, it was very, very, yes very hard to miss and but after <laughs> that i realized on my second viewing that con girl is a movie about writers and i asked my film professor at the time okay so i know that we have to write our final paper on films about writers and this one i'm not going to have like, access to to really watch you know, as many times as I kind of need to or be able to pause and look at things for it, do you think it's still a good fit? And they were like, well, yeah, go for it. So then I went and saw it a third time. 
and it was the first time that I sat through a movie and I took notes and was actively thinking about things outside of the entertainment for it. Um, like, sure, I watched films for more than entertainment since then in my journey from 2008 to 2014 of watching movies. But this was the first time that I sat down and wrote things during it. Um, and I recently, just today, to get ready for this, was reading that same paper that I wrote on Gone Girl and writers. And like, <laughs> I, I, I must have been really interested in it because, honestly, it, this paper has aged pretty well. I normally don't read my own stuff, but I talk about like false consciousness and all this other thing, all this other stuff. Because for anybody that's seen Gone Girl, and spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about the plot because it's what's so important that makes it such an interesting thing that I like is – it's, you know, you have Amy, who is the, you know, titular Gone Girl, who writes a false narrative, basically, that her husband, Nick Dunn, who is the one of, the, I think, why this film is such a standout, Joe, is that Ben Affleck is, it's like Mickey Rourke and the wrestler. It's this guy that they're cast in this role that is so, aligns so perfectly with things that have happened in their own personal life that they're kind of able to really make that role lived in. You know, because Ben Affleck's had all these up and downs and these like, yeah. and, and a lot of weird run-ins with being in the public eye. And it just kind of feels like you're kind of watching this almost like extension of him because his wife disappears, but everybody thinks that Nick Dunn murdered his wife. And you find out. Jennifer Aniston. Yes. And Brad. <laughs> and you find out midway through the film that she didn't, that he didn't kill her, that she faked her own death to kind of create this narrative where she ends up coming back at the end of the film and she's kind of like the star of her own story. And it's all because her, uh, her parents wrote these, you know, these kids books that kind of starred her, but she never lived up to that same, uh, same fame that the main character had. So she's a writer in the sense that she writes this false narrative, right? Yep. And then Nick, Nick is literally a writer because he teaches college level writing and he has written before, and that's kind of how they meet. And he kind of uses his own skills of, of writing to kind of weave the, the narrative. Like, he figures out before the, you know, before he, investigators don't even figure it out, but he figures out what she's doing. And it's because he knows how she thinks because they're both writers. And it's this, like, game that they're playing. And it's this mystery that unfolds in front of you. And it just fits, I think, David Fincher's um, n- niche of the mm-hmm. films that he makes. And it's just this really absorbing film that kind of dives into um, the mind of these two writers. And I think it really comes down to Ben Affleck's performance in it too. Cause it is that like super lived in role. And also just, <laughs> I just love his wardrobe. And also he was thick <laughs> in it. he's got like, like Ben Affleck's got like that, you know, he's like built on top. But, you know, he's like a little soft in the middle, too. It's like, I don't bad know. Like, yeah, it's the ideal, like. The ideal like, bad bod. Yeah, we're, put, we're forced, you know, as, as men a lot when we see our these leading men into this, like, false idea of what um, a man's body can be. And I'm thinking of, like, Magic, Magic Mike in. Right, they dehydrated how, themselves. They've and they, like. Got a personal trainer. They're probably on steroids. And they worked and, out uh, a lot yeah. pre whatever film, whatever scene they shot. Like they, yeah. it was like intense right before it to look that way in it. And, you know, we, we, I think as a society, we talk a lot about, um, 
like you know women and seeing like what you know like what the ideal image of a woman is and not being able to live up to those body type standards but i I think the same goes for for men in that way and i think it kind of opened my eyes to seeing ben affleck who typically you know has has been that kind of stereotypical dude that's kind of like just super jacked i mean he's he's like that for batman right but in that role it's it's this it kind of fits the character it I don't know, made me feel a little good about myself. And it's just a role that kind of stuck with me in a film that, especially my career in college and, and career, like interest in film and writing about it has really stuck with me. Um, so yeah, Gone Girl, number two up there. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. Gone girl. Uh, so my final film, <laughs> The Tie, uh, comes back to my very beginning of my list. Uh, very beginning of my list was Crazy Stupid Love. I love a good rom-com, but some movies are great films and rom-com kind of movies. All right? The tip of the iceberg, the, the best of the best, the ones that can be romantic, that can be comedies, but they can also be up for Oscars. Mm. All right. These films for me were Silver Linings Playbook and 500 Days of Summer. Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook um, being this tale of, you know, this guy had just got out of a, uh, a committed relationship and he, um, you know, needs some sort of outlet for his anger. Um, and he ends up getting into this dance competition with this girl that is kind of an outcast in her her town or her city and um they end up falling in love um and they after this all this dancing but you know they the way in which david russell crafts a story um i remember the music being great i haven't watched it in a little bit um but i, I jennifer jennifer lawrence and bradley cooper together uh was such an amazing combo and the chemistry there it was so electric. It was dynamite. It was explosive. Hoo-ah! It was hoo-ah! and uh, it, it shows you that love could happen to anybody. You know, they were both unhinged in a way. And <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but no, it, it's just such a great film, and uh, you get to see, you know, um, Robert uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Oh my God. Uh, Robert De Niro is great in it, um, and Bradley and, and Jennifer Lawrence are great in it. But David Russell, once again, is just so good at uh, bringing in an ensemble. He's and, great with actors because also, yeah. I, mean, I mentioned it with when we talked about American Hustle really briefly mm-hmm. when we were talking about the fighters. That Silver Linings Playbook is also one of the only films to have all four acting categories filled out at the Academy Awards. It had right. actor, actress, supporting actress, and Sporting actor. Say what you will about Jackie Weaver and her limited role in that, but she was nominated for it. So yeah. it was it was a really great film at its time, but also it was a it was a romantic movie and it was a funny movie, and I uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, but uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer is so great, and it's got a quirky comedic element to it. Uh, but Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt together had so much chemistry. I think chemistry between an actor and an actress or or two love interests i should say is so important in a film and in these two films the the chemistry between them was so great but 500 days of summer i connected to so much because i was just getting out of high school at the time 
and maybe it was a little bit after I got out of high school. It might have been like very early on in college. Came out in like 20, 2009. 2009. So I was just ending my time in high school. And I must have had a PS3 because I remember getting a Blu-ray. And, um, and I had it on Blu-ray. And it was such an amazing movie because it was, it was shot so funny. Mark Webb. Mark Webb, he has, uh, he's been mostly working in TV lately. But um, he did 500 Days of Summer, and then he got cast on to do uh, the Amazing Spider-Man series. And I was really excited for the Amazing Spider-Man series. And I think, to some extent, you can see his influence on the Amazing Spider-Man um, series with the, the relationship between uh, Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. Because mm-hmm. you can kind of see that romantic element from 500 Days of Summer and the way he directs that. Um, but other than that, those movies kind of fell off. But 500 Days of Summer was really great um, because of the way in which they told the story and the way in which they told romance that can... Spoiler alert. Uh, spoiler alert. One, two, three. Love that can't work. Love that yeah. doesn't work out. And it's it's not really a normal thing for a movie to show you love that doesn't work. They love to show you the relationship that was crazy and had ups and downs, but in the end, it worked out. In this one, it doesn't work out, and and that happens a lot in life, and a lot you, you go through relationships, and sometimes it doesn't work out, and it turns out that's okay because it's going to bring you to the one that's going to work. It's going to be part of your journey, and it's going to bring you to the one that does work. Um, but it's a story that you don't tell in Hollywood because you want to tell like this this great romance that ended it with a happy ending, and it's fantastic. But Mark Webb told a different story. And Mark Webb and David Russell both told love stories that were worthy enough for an Oscar. And that is a kind of movie that I love. Um, did you, have you seen 500 Days of Summer, Alex? Yeah, it's one of my favorites, actually. I, uh, when I came to my orientation, not my orientation, my, uh, my overnight at college, I was wearing a 500 Days of Summer shirt. And wow. the person I was staying with, that was one of his favorite movies. And we automatically connected. And I think it was a relationship over just the day that I was at college um, before I decided to go there that kind of cemented that wow there's people like me here and I think informed my choice and my my life wouldn't be what it is now if I didn't make that that Mm -hmm. crucial choice um you wouldn't have me you wouldn't have your wife no no I think the both both very important (laughs) yeah both I've had children with so yes you never talk to our child though no I don't (laughs) the 500 days of summer I think when I watched it the first time and I think it's the most important part of it. Like you said, is that it tells a story that love that doesn't work and that's okay because we grow from that, but it's yeah. the, it's the sequence where it's expectation versus reality. Oh and you, God. and you see, uh, you know, Tom, Joseph and Led's character, his version of how he thinks the night's going to go. And then you see how the night actually goes at the same time. And it's just such an interesting and unique way to show that. And I don't know about you, but that happened to me so much growing up. Same. I, I was in a, I, I mean, I was in, I, I was a little, I'm a little younger than you. I was in high school at the time. So I was kind of traversing relationships then. And yeah. my reality was very different from expectations for a lot of um, encounters in those relationships. So, yeah. yeah. Did solid yeah, picks I, at the end, Joe. Those are good. Thank you. Thank you. They're, they're, they're awesome. I have to watch 500 Days of Summer again. I've got it. I'm looking it, at it right now. Yeah, I, I think I have it on Blu-ray somewhere. Um, but it's just, 
it's a movie I could watch over and over again because I think it is such a, a cool experience seeing a relationship from the beginning to the end and then after the end. And yeah, it's such a such an interesting pick. And it's such an example of directors that they can make such a piece of art. And sometimes they drop off. Sometimes like directors don't stay at the top of directing. Um, and then you went to TV, but like, that's not to say that Mark Webb's not doing great. I'm sure he's doing great, but it's, it's, you hit the Oscars and then sometimes you expect these directors to keep on making Oscar level movies and sometimes they don't. Um, David O. Russell had a big run with Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter and American Hustle, but then he hit Joy and some people like Joy, not everybody. And now we're waiting on the next David O. Russell film. So we'll see if he hits it again. I don't know. But, um, you know, we talked about The Revenant with Alejandro Iratu. Yeah. And he's pretty consistent. You, know, you look at Babel, you look at The Revenant, you look at... Um, yeah, I mean, he won Birdman. Best Director two years in a row. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Of course, yeah. You haven't seen too much since. It's been a while, actually, since... I think that was his oh, last that was movie. producer. That was producer. Oh. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, we haven't seen much since, but we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, those are our 10... I've got one movies. more. Oh, you got one? Okay. All right. Okay. We're done when I say we're done. (laughs) Well, I got 10. You got nine. Let's move on. Yeah, let's go. Uh, It happens to be my favorite of all time. I'm going to have you guess again. Oh, God. Uh, Favorite of all time. What are we already talking about? I feel like I've been fortunate enough to see it in theaters every year since 2013. Oh, Halloween. It is 1978 Halloween. The birth of the American slasher film and a huge milestone for horror, which is my favorite genre of film. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Scream Queen, baby. Yo, we wouldn't have that that have you seen that tweet that's going around that keeps on coming around with John Travolta and her like gyrating their hips? No, I know. <laughs> uh, it's all over Twitter. It's all over Twitter, and it's it's a film uh, where she was a like a aerobics instructor, and he was dating her or something, and it was very erotic. It was very erotic aerobics, and it's just her in a in like an aerobics outfit, and then John Travolta in these tight shorts, and they're just both just gyrating their hips like you could only do in the eighties for aerobics, and. Um, yeah, it's been it's been disturbing to see on Twitter a lot, but uh, wow. very interesting. I gotta send it to you at some point. Yeah, please do. I can't oh, yeah. I can't believe I don't know about it. <laughs> I love I love Jamie Lee, and I mean her starting out in that is just Halloween. It's you know I watched The Revenant when I um when I wrap Christmas presents, but I watch Halloween like the whole month of October. I'm, oh. I'm, I make sure that I clear out my actual Halloween night plans and I watch it. And unfortunately this year, I don't think I'll be able to catch it on the big screen, but luckily it's such a cultural phenomenon on its own that theaters around here have played it. So I've been able to go and, and see it the way it was meant to be seen on this big screen. And there's always an intro from John Carpenter. I, I could probably recite it for you because it's happened every single time I see it, but he just talks about the making of it, which I've researched this movie so much because it's my favorite. And I think it's because it, when I watched it, it's what got me started on my journey through horror films and they are my favorite. And I think it's because it started there and it's just such a well-made film and it's something that informs a lot of what comes after it. 
even though it also relies on other parts that came before, which is really interesting because Halloween itself is kind of, it, it feels like Hitchcock's Psycho, which Janet Lee in that, who is an OG scream queen as well, is Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Um, so you have that literal, like, familial connection to the two. And it just, it's a, it's a simple movie, but it also has so much going on in it about, like, fate and um, just, like, it creates this American horror story. You know, this, this suburban, like, idyllic neighborhood in suburb, in, you know, in suburban Illinois. Uh, Illinois, no, it's, it's Haddonfield. It's, yeah, it's Illinois. Yeah, Haddonfield. Come on, Alex. Favorite movie, you can't remember. But, and it's like this, you know, this shade that just terrorizes these young girls that are babysitting on Halloween night. And it's just like, it, I mean, I feel like if you know anything about horror movies, you know the plot of Halloween. You know who Michael Myers is. He's he's the boogeyman, right? Even in the credits for the film, the guy that plays him is credited as playing the shade. No one is credited as playing Michael Myers because he doesn't exist. Because that character is the actual embodiment of evil, just like mm. um, Doctor Loomis says. Um, so, and it's I think when I think of Halloween now, after watching like when we watched the lighthouse a couple of weeks ago or months ago now mm-hmm. at this point, quarantine's been so long, but how, you know, uh, that director, Robert Eggers is really kind of pioneering these other like kind of folklore American horror stories. And I think Halloween has a foundation there. I mean, without Halloween, you don't have uh, nightmare on Elm street. You don't have Friday the 13th. You don't have um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Prom Night, Scream. Scream. You don't have Scream. Um, so it really it, it it's paved the way for a lot of what comes after it. I mean, even though you have those cheap imitations, but you also have like new innovative entries into the genre. Like I'm trying to think of what the name of it is. It's the one where she re- relives the same day. It's Oh, uh, Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. I mean, yeah. That movie's great. And it play you know, it, it brings, you know, that the Groundhog Day narrative, but with that slasher concept and kind of marries the two and creates something new. But you you still have that slasher foundation that John Carpenter lays out. You got the strangers. Yeah. And when I talked about music, like with the Revenant and then a quick sidebar to No Country for Old Men is I don't know if you know this, but one of the coolest facts about Halloween is John Carpenter actually screened it um, for critics before he added a score. And they hated it. They didn't think it was scary. They didn't like the movie at all. Like it was the same version that we that I watch every year. And I think Mm. I've had you watch at least every year the past couple of years. But one then John Carpenter sat down for two weeks and he wrote that score all on his own. And then when he added that. They were people were terrified. The movie just became this other other thing, um, and became such that a... and Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, you know, sound yeah. in horror, especially that's one of the big things is when you have the absence of sound, and then it's you kind of. I think we're trained as audiences now. You're watching a scary movie and there's no sound. That means something's about to pop, right? Something's yeah. about to happen. Um, 
so that's a, you know the, that's such an iconic score and the fact that John Carpenter like hadn't even thought of it and then was just like well if I need to, I'm gonna push this movie I got I gotta think think of something and he just creates this synthesizer sound that just resonates deeply for everybody now um and it's at the time it was the highest grossing independent film of all time as well uh for i think it was 47 million dollars in 1978 it was a small movie that they kind of just slowly rolled out across america and just caught wind and it 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 made a lot of money and it really paved the way for a lot of other art house and independent filmmakers to take risks and make other movies so halloween is not only like a benchmark for horror but a benchmark for the independent market and I think the independent market really produces a lot of those game changing and just really fun films that we go out and see on a yearly basis. So without Halloween, there's not a lot of the other stuff and it's just so dang fun to watch. It never gets old for me. Hmm. So, but fun fact, I have not seen all of the films in the series. I've only seen the OG, the OG second, the Rob Zombie remake, the new remake will reboot kind of sequel. It happens after the first one originally. And then Halloween three season of the witch, which I went and saw at a theater in Syracuse that did a Halloween night where they played all of them, but they had actors from season of the witch there. So they played that one first and then they played the second one. That, that was really fun because there were people in the audience that were dressed as my, one guy was dressed as Michael Myers in a Santa costume. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, there's just a fun fan base with it too. It's just, it's it's just a fun fun movie, and that's my top one. Yeah, so we're moving on, Joe. We've got a, Joe's got a really uh, interesting name for this segment tonight. But for the future segments that uh, we're going to be pitching movie ideas for certain actors or different filmmakers, um, we're going to be calling it soon to be a major motion picture. And so, Joe, what do we have tonight? All right, Alex. You know, sometimes it's tough to make a decision. You feel like you're between a rock and a heart place. Today, we're going to be pitching ideas of Kevin Hart or the rock movies. Uh, so do you want to do your pitch first? Or like, how many pitches do you have, I guess? Off the top of my head, I have a couple. Uh, I have one for Kevin Hart. I have one for Dwayne Johnson. Um I have, you know, one for both of them together. And then okay. I think we'll start riffing them. All right. I only, I've only done ones where they're together. Okay. But I, I, I guess I could start with the easy one that, we, <laughs> that I talked to you about earlier. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Joe, I, I, I've been racking my brain all week uh, with thinking about The Rock and Kevin Hart. And naturally, I came to this conclusion, especially after my daughter has been watching all of the Toy Story films this week is why not have a live action Toy Story? The Rock is Buzz Lightyear, Kevin Hart, Woody. What are your thoughts? I like the idea. I think that uh, Dwayne Johnson uh, has very much like the the build of Buzz Lightyear. If you remove the armor from Buzz Lightyear, you would basically just see The Rock. Uh, I think they probably have similar tattoos. Um, and I think using Kevin Hart as Woody is a good contrast from who you expect for Woody um, being that Woody is 
generally very uh, tall and lanky. So it would be kind of a nice comedic twist to have Kevin Hart since he's a little bit shorter, but he's a little bit more um, muscular. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like that contrast. And I think their comedic timing is so great that it'd be really good for a Buzz and Woody combo. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Then I also was, when I was thinking about pitching it, it could be a remake or here's a thought, Toy Story 5. They mm. become real people instead of toys. And oh, kind of like a, kind of like a Jumanji situation, except almost like reverse. Yeah, oh. I couldn't, I can't figure out the plot in terms of getting them back together because spoiler alert, Toy Story Four, right? They um, split ways at the end, but I guess uh, we'll see how that works out. But that's my that's my first pitch, Joe. Uh, what do you have? Well, let me let me riff off that for a second. Actually. All right, yeah, go for it. Okay, so how about? How about this is years later. This is years later after Toy Story 4. Uh, and it's at a toy convention. It's at like a, a action figure collection kind of thing. Okay. And um, uh, Buzz's current owner is much older now. And turns out that she loves toys so much that she's become a collector. And uh, she brings the toys as these kind of antique toys to this uh toy convention to kind of show off as a showcase like remember buzz lightyear oh this was years and years ago right. we haven't had those in years um you know with the slinky dog and t-rex and all those they're very antique now uh turns out that uh woody's come there to save them to save them from this this convention and um there ends up that there's also some sort of toy that's like a fake time machine or okay. not, no, sorry. Fake, like, what would it be? It'd be maybe there's a scientist toy. And the scientist toy comes to life while they're there. And they've created this machine to make themselves human. Because they're sick of this this existence as this scientist, scientist as a toy. It's just not, you know, bringing them to their full potential. But then Buzz and Woody accidentally pass by it. And they get turned into humans. And then it goes from there. I like that. And the great thing about that is... You're then at this toy convention, and it's Buzz and Woody as humans, and they just think they're cosplaying. People just think they're cosplaying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that. I could you, you could even extend it to probably actually let it be like a Comic Con type yeah, of event, that's, right? That's the kind of event it would be. So yeah. it'd probably be like a Comic Con, but it'd be like the toy section because like you have areas where it's collectors, and you have areas where it's like more of the company showing off their new stuff. So this would be more in the like the the collector slash like uh, fan section. Now I'm just picturing it being at New York Comic Con, and then a Buzz and Woody as people take on the city. Oh, like yeah, it, yeah, like, it'd be in New York City. Yeah, that's a yeah, good idea, right? Oh my gosh, Buzz and Woody take New York. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. I like it. I like it. All right, so my idea. Uh, my first idea is a uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson um, uh, flick, and it would be him as a bodybuilder uh, towards the end of his career, kind of like the wrestler. It'd be like very similar Mickey like Rourke. the wrestler with Mickey Rourke, because you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson, even though he looks young, he is getting up there in age, uh, but he can still get ripped as heck. So I'm thinking that you have this film about uh, an older bodybuilder. He's taking steroids. He's cutting weight. 
He's draining himself and trying to make himself as good as possible. He's tanning a lot to show off the definition. And it's just The Rock as ripped as he's ever been. But he's dealing with both getting old, but also that he's always been dealing with body dysmorphia. And as a bodybuilder, you, you, you have to like look at yourself and you're like, oh, my God, you're disgusting. Like, you, you look at that little bit of fat. I got to burn that. I got to get rid of that. And he's just dealing with this. And um, but also dealing with the fact that he's, you know, aging out of this this kind of uh, profession. And I think it'd be an interesting um, movie. Also dealing with the effects of steroids and roid rage and all this kind of stuff. And I think it could be very much a, uh, I don't see it as a comedy. I see it as very much like a drama. Yeah. Um, and a very serious drama, a very serious role for Dwayne Johnson. I think that Dwayne's roles are kind of um, limited to some extent. And um, it's limited to certain things because he's so big and he's so ripped. And it's hard to put him in a serious role because of his his build and his previous movies but i think this could be a way to get him an oscar i've you been know? waiting for for his like big dramatic turn too yeah. uh which is something that i was thinking about when i was thinking of my pitches so i think that's mm-hmm. a that's a really solid idea who do you think exactly. who would you get to like direct it um let's see let me think about this for a second uh, I have, I know the movie of the director. I just sometimes forget his name. Uh, give me a sec. I would say that uh, David O. Russell. David O. Russell. Yeah. Okay. So Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter. I'm thinking The Fighter. The Fighter. Yeah. The Fighter. The Fighter. <laughs> nice. I'm the one that's in there. Not you. Not you. And not you. <laughs> All right. So yeah, definitely. You know, he was in Pain and Gain, uh, but right. that was much more of a comedy. But I think that does it does fit him. You know, he, his, much of his persona is working out. And I think he would have a good insight on that through pro wrestling and also just being in the workout community. Um, so, you know, I could see a cameo from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I see a few other things, but very much a serious movie. Um, but could be a good role for him. So uh, thinking of a biopic for Kevin Hart. A biopic, okay. Yeah, biopic for Kevin Hart, directed by Spike Lee. Ooh, okay. And it's about Spike Lee. And uh, it'd be Kevin Hart playing Spike Lee. And um, he'd have to kind of, he might have to get a little skinnier. He might have to lose a little bit of muscle tone for it um, and wear some glasses and uh, dress a little different. Uh, But, you know, I think uh, Kevin Hart has that humor. I think Spike Lee would be able to use his humor to its advantage throughout the biopic kind of showing a, um, a black director um, rising up in Hollywood mm-hmm. and the challenges and, you know, difficulties of that and like the different politics that Hollywood bring. Um, I think it'd be a nice serious role for Kevin Hart, um, which he's gotten a couple so far, but not that many serious roles. So I'd like this to be a serious role, but at the same time, I think Spike Lee, Spike Lee can be a funny guy. And um, I think he could find ways to bring humor to the role. And uh, I think Spike Lee would bring that out of him throughout the film. Um, but it would allow Spike Lee as well to kind of um, show what his experiences have been, because I don't think it's been that easy. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an idea I have. 
Uh, and that's a small idea. I don't have too much as far as the plot goes because it's a biopic. Right. So it um, would obviously follow whatever. It would follow Spike however likely you want that narrative to go. But I just think Kevin Hart could definitely do it. You know, when you're a comedian, it's um, you can also bring a lot of drama to your roles. And I think he's he shows he shows glimpses of that. Uh, but a fun one, a fun one. It would be a, uh, a remake of the movie Face Off. <laughs> with uh kevin hart and dwayne johnson uh in which they are no. competing uh hitmen and uh the difference is i think they would get switched into each other's bodies because just putting kevin didn't Hart's, we, uh, face... not in the actual podcast episode last week mm-hmm. but when we originally riffed the sam rockwells it was yeah <laughs> we did talk about face off then too Who's going to be in Face Off with Sam Rockwell? Though? I think it was a straight up sequel with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, but then they all swapped faces. Oh, so it was like a three way swap. Yeah, yeah, like, like, yeah, I can't uh, remember the name. Yeah, no, now this one would be a remake Kevin Hart and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but they would switch bodies. It would be very much a Freaky Friday situation. Okay. Uh, rather than a Face Off situation because um, their builds are very much different and their skin tone's different. So it'd be weird to switch just their faces. Um, but yeah, it'd be a bit of a freaky Friday situation, but they'd be competing agents. Uh, or I guess they would, the original face off was that were they like criminals against each other? I forget what that was. I personally have never seen it. So I've I... never seen it either, but I know the concept overall, but basically the, the body swap, uh, with, I'm going to make them competing hitmen. So competing, like, Travolta was a FBI agent hitmen. and Cage was a terrorist. Oh, ooh, that works pretty well. Yeah. Okay, then Kevin Hart would be the FBI agent, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be the terrorist. Yeah. Uh, very much a, maybe an ex-commando who's turned against his government. Um, I like that a lot. But I think I think it would provide some good humor. I think you've seen their their body swap humor before with uh, with Jumanji. So I think uh, using that again and using their duo together uh could be fun but also with Dwayne the Rock Johnson you can bring the action so i think it'd be a, it could be some fun um and i you know they're not going to win any oscars you know it's a bit of a contrast from my other picks um but they can definitely make some money you know especially mm-hmm. worldwide uh what's your next pick so mine you know i was thinking the because I just it was just a rough idea, and I was thinking we could just riff off of it as we go. So I'll just lay the foundation, and then we can build the plot from there. Sounds good to me. All righty. So let me let me take a look back at my notebook because I, I had to write it down, or else I was going to forget it. Mm. All right. So The Rock is owns a furniture store, but it's all self built furniture. Oh, okay. He's very and, much a uh, what's the group that does that? Mormon. I think so. Yeah. And, oh no, uh, the Quakers. Quakers, right? Yes, basically. Quakers do that. Yeah. yeah. And Kevin Hart is his like best friend, and he is the only other person that w- works in the like furniture shop that they own. Oh. And The Rock builds the furniture, but Kevin Hart sells it. I can definitely see that. I can so definitely I, see that. I don't know if I want to go drama or comedy though, or somewhere in between. I think. I don't think you're going to win any Oscars talking about a furniture store. Yay. Uh, <laughs> you could try. I, you could try. 
uh, I mean, it depends on where you want to go. Do we want to make? Okay, so let's let's cut it off right here. Do we want to be comedy or drama? Let's Up go. Let, let's go comedy. Let's go comedy. All right. Okay. Okay. Comedy. Yeah. All right. So, what is the problem that we're going to come up with here? What is the what is the issue? Because we have to have some sort of problem that is driving this uh, film. Obviously, they have they run into competition. Is my oh. initial thought. IKEA. Ooh, an IKEA, yeah, an IKEA. IKEA-like thing, maybe some mm. like uh, some European people, maybe like Will Forte. <laughs> Will okay. Forte, Bill, uh, Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see as like the competing group. Uh, maybe like um, I'm thinking about a, b- a bunch of SNL people at this point. Uh, who would be a good like female antagonist that would be European? Maybe Charlize Theron. Or Charlize Theron. Kate McKinnon yeah. and all SNL. I mean, so yeah, maybe Charlize Theron could be a good. Uh, and, and we make it super serious, but it's all about furniture. Like this is like, mm, could we? Could it be the Fast and the Furious of furniture? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was picturing that the they hire Zac Efron mm-hmm. as an add-on to their company to to do a more like a like a younger appeal to the furniture yeah you want young furniture i like that yeah they want really young furniture young ripped furniture. chiseled chiseled furniture. chiseled furniture like these couches have abs yeah yeah i can mm. see that but the european style you know it's very easy to construct it's cheaper that's the big thing that's the big thing kevin hart and the rock are making handmade furniture what is handmade furniture alex why? What is handmade furniture? Uh, it's expensive as hell. <laughs> it's so expensive. Have you ever seen like the Quaker chairs? This like this red oak. Yeah, no, I've not it's actually. Expensive. Come How often do you go shopping for homemade Quaker furniture? Well, when we got the house, when we got the house, we went to um, one of the local furniture stores, mm. and they have a whole section that's all about this this handmade furniture. And because it's handmade and because it's custom, it's very nice. It's very good. It will last you a long time, yeah. but it's expensive. I did sit on a chaise at Huck Finn's for, that was $3,000. Yeah. Just right? the, this past weekend. So, yeah. Yes. I was like, thinking mm-hmm. that they, the, the rock to kind of offer something different, you know, he's, he, he loves making the furniture. And, and uh-huh. it's just very personal because he's the only one that makes it. But what if they need to up the production but need to make it appealing and sexy? So they open up a furniture and gym where the workout is making the furniture. And it's okay. almost like, like, a, like a lumberjack business because yeah. they're going out and they're chopping down trees. What's it's better like, than The Rock in a lumberjack outfit cutting down trees? And Big Mouth, it's like the Blaze Pizza. It's like the Blaze Pizza of furniture. Yes. You make your own. It's a fun thing. Or like, um, yeah, like you choose the parts, but it, it, it takes it even further. It's like, uh, it's like build a bear, but it's called build a chair. Build, yeah, build a chair. Oh, build a chair, dude. Build a yeah, chair. Build a chair. They, they got to come up with that. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, he they're they're trying to switch it up because these these Europeans are coming in <laughs> and they're they're bringing in their IKEA level furniture. It's gonna break apart, but man, it only costs you twenty bucks to get a shelf. Like what? You can't beat that. Um, so now, yes, Dwayne the Rock Johnson realizes half the half the problem is is that the labor costs so much. You know, his hours that it takes to build all these shelves, that's what's costing him a lot of money. So now you get build a chair, build a and chair. you bring in a fun guy like Channing, not Channing Tatum, 
like Zach Efron. And he's like this, he used to be a manager at Build-A-Bear. And he's going to get the kids in there. He's going to get all the kids in there building uh, furniture. And that's when the Europeans call in, um, you know, the Health and Safety Commission because they believe that a child labor. Oh, child labor law, yeah. Child labor laws are going to come into this. And this is like, this is like the thing. It's like a back and forth, like, oh, you're going to cause us problems? Or we're going to cause cause your problems. problems. Yeah. And uh, that's what leads at one point. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart, they break into the Ikea place and they just start smashing stuff. They just start smashing stuff and they think that they've wrecked their inventory. Next day, the Europeans already brought in a new shipment. It's so cheap. They don't even care. And like you get this like back and forth. Like At one point, Kevin Hart and The Rock make adult sex furniture. Oh, sex swings. Yep. Different things like that, or in like Burn After Reading, where George Clooney makes that like swinging swinging chair. Yeah. Get that piston going. Yeah. So they completely revert from, okay, so we can't have children working here. Boom. We're going to make. We go adult. We go adult. Yeah. Build a Uh, sex chair. uh, Yeah. Build a sex chair, or what would be a good one for that? What would be a good one for that? I'll come back to you about that. That's, That's a very interesting idea. We have to come up with a name for this adult furniture store think of what is some uh ikea 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 i what's another furniture store we got to come up with a name for raymore raymore and raymore and come again uh what's another one (laughs) well the local one is huck finn's uh, yeah obviously uh yeah we got we got plenty right now uh ashley furniture uh (laughs) i'm not going with that there you go we got some good ones we already got some good names for these guys uh store obviously um but you know we 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 got a lot to work on here we got a lot of work on here we got a lot to build off of this idea uh i'm thinking it's very much like a beer fest but with furniture, but it's classier than that. Beer fest, you know, low level comedy kind of, kind of hits you with dirty comedy, but this is going to hit you with a little bit of dirty comedy, but also some classy comedy. Yeah. You know, I think it, that's why you have Charlie Theron in there. Right. He brings right. the class. He brings the class to the joint. And you um, make uh, the rock go full fledged comedy, full fledged comedy with the rock. Yes. No, no action. Now, if we can't get, if we can't get Charlie Theron. We could also go full comedy and get Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Ferrell and The Rock definitely could be a good combo, I think, uh, along with Steve Carell and The Rock. The Rock has The Rock worked with Steve Carell. The Rock yeah, has worked smart, with Will Ferrell. He worked with Steve Carell and Good Smart. And he worked with Will Ferrell and um, the other guys. Yep. So he's, yep. he's kind of done both. He's done both. That was earlier in his career before he. He uh, he's just starting to kind of blow up around that time, um, a little bit before he got huge. Um, but yeah, no, I mean I like it. I like it. Furniture hasn't really been done that much, you know. So it's an untapped market in the movie industry. And you can have a lot of awesome shots of like The Rock shirtless, little little sweaty, dim lighting, just like putting some work on a chair, putting some work on that furniture or, or on a sofa or something. I'm th- right, and Channing see- Tatum in um, Magic Mike. Yeah, he was all about you making tables and stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know, 
and that's the thing with the rock because like if you do go in that build a chair route part of his love for furniture is making it so he's going to feel like he's selling out and that's going to be a part of it too he's selling out what he really wants just so he can beat the european furniture makers and kevin hart's all about the sale he's he's not he doesn't care about the the purity of furniture he just cares about let's make some money so it's going to lead to conflict between the two which i think could be a second act uh conclusion before they regain and like join back with each other in the third act you know though we're looking for comedy we got a little drama in there yeah i like it i like it a lot we got we got something brewing there mm-hmm. big time do you have any other uh, pitch ideas for these you two know or- I do. I had okay. one. Uh, I have a like Mike sequel. Oh, okay. um, with <laughs> Obviously Kevin Hart. with The Rock. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Rock. <laughs> the Rock would be a great basketball player if he had Mike. My, my, uh, uh, Michael Jordan's powers. But no, I like the idea of Kevin Hart getting Michael Jordan's power. You know, he's already been very involved with the NBA. He's in there. Um, a lot of the All Star weekends. He's in the celebrity games. He he has a good relationship with a lot of the NBA players, and I think he could definitely work with them for a sequel to uh, Like Mike, um, where he gets the powers, but it can get a little bit more, um, I guess, into the, I guess, the the behind the scenes of the NBA with this one, because it is more of an adult film. And you can see how NBA players party, and you can see how Michael Jordan partied, because what's going to happen is, unlike... The previous one, starring uh, Shad Moss, uh, other known as Lil Bow Wow, mm-hmm. uh, you're gonna get to see like Michael Jordan in his poker, in his cigar smoking, uh, probably a little bit of drinking, and um, uh, Kevin Hart's gonna get that along with his powers. He's gonna get these uh, these vices, and uh, it's gonna bring him into some some shady situations. Uh, but also, he's gonna ball out. And it's going to be a short Kevin Hart dunking on LeBron. And uh, what's going to happen is people are going to find out that he has the power of Michael Jordan. And it's going to start to create the debate between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Well, Kevin Hart's dunking on LeBron. Obviously, Michael Jordan's better than LeBron. And LeBron is then going to take this personally. And you're going to have a feud between LeBron, who has shown his uh, his acting chops. Chops? Chops. 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 His sort of his acting chops uh, through other movies, uh, and he's going to be in the next uh, Space Jam. Um, and I think he's going to be a good uh, partner to play off of Kevin Hart. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be solid, coming out idea. two years from now. Uh, I already got the deal made. <laughs> yeah, so I already signed it. Really yeah. looking forward to it. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, it's made by Solstice Studios. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, always got to bring up Solstice. Solstice is going to bring in the money, and I'm looking forward to it. That brings us to a close, everybody. Thank you for joining us again, wherever you are listening. We hope that you enjoyed talking about um, the rest of our films that really flesh out our um, tastes in film, uh, talking about our pitches for Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart films, and doing a slight retrospective on the late, the great Chadwick Boseman. Um, I'm Alex, this is Joe, and we're 518 Filmhouse. We'll see you next week.